Lord, we do want to hear from you. And not only do we want to hear from you, we want to respond to that word spoken uh, by going to do. Um, God, speak clearly now so that we know how to live for you, so that we know how to live in relationship with you, Lord, so that we know how to, to live in such a fashion that we are able to overcome. And uh, Lord, this is our heart's desire today, to be with you, to worship you, to hear from you, and then to live by faith in what you have spoken. So be with us now and touch our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the Bible um, uh, speaks of us as being an army. You know, we're, we're, we're tackling this uh, topic of spiritual warfare. And it's an interesting way that the Bible puts it to us, that we are in a fight. We're in, we're, we have to fight the battles of God, and that we have an enemy, and that enemy is the devil and his dark angels who are active in our lives and so forth. I want you to realize, just as I jump in today, what that means for you in your life. That means that we're to be soldiers in an army, which is engaging an enemy, and hopefully, by God's will, gaining victory in, the, in that battle. And I don't know whether that's the way you perceive yourself, but that's the reality, according to Scripture. You know, one of the things that I've come uh, to appreciate in the last oh, few weeks as I have prepared this sermon and, and, prepare, uh, and spoken it, this being the third of three sermons on this topic, um, is, is, is an odd sort of realization that a lot of us are really comfortable with the reality of what we believe in terms of the spiritual realm when it comes to God. We know God is spirit. Uh, we know that God is with us by his spirit, protecting us and guiding us and providing for us and answering our prayers. We're all over that. We love that, right? We even believe the, in the reality of angels. Most people are comfortable with the reality of angels. But when it comes to the other side of the equation in the spiritual realm, sometimes we're not so comfortable. That being the fact of the devil, our enemy, and his dark angels. Unclean spirits, Jesus, I believe, calls them in one of the texts we'll look at today. <clears throat> and as a result, we often don't think about it. Who wants to, right? And we don't, as a result, then engage it. So on the one side, we're all over that and we're experiencing God and, and knowing his goodness and his presence by his Holy Spirit. But it's like this when it comes to evil. And you know what? That's understandable. But isn't that the way the enemy would want it? And could it even be that that in itself is a scheme of the devil, to use that phrase from Ephesians chapter 6? Don't think about me. Let me do what I want. I'll succeed in my, in my goals. You know, part of this series is just to surface this whole discussion again and say, let's not be like that anymore. <laughs> let's recognize the full biblical worldview, which includes not only God and his goodness, but evil, uh, and, and, and all that means for us. I mean, at the very heart of the gospel is the idea that Jesus came, the Son of God, to die on a cross, to rise to new life, to overcome what? The power of sin and of evil and of death. And he has. We just need to know how to take hold of that reality and allow it to, um, to enable us to be effective in the way that God wants. So I want to talk just briefly about the present reality that we find ourselves in, okay? And I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15 as we uh, consider this. We're, we're, the Apostle Paul is writing. He's talking about Jesus having won the victory uh, over evil in the cross, um, but of the reality that the work of Christ is not done yet, and it won't be done until evil is eradicated from our world and our lives. So let me read this, and, I, and, and I'll, I'll point out some interesting realities to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 and 25 say this. 
then the end will come. So we're talking about the future, right? Paul is. When he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Now that's a reference to evil. So are you, are you picking up on this already? We're looking to a future reality when Jesus has uh, um, destroyed dominion, authority, and power. We're not there yet. This is the reality of our lives. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, I want us to, to grasp that dynamic. The end will come then until. And it's sort of an odd scenario that we find ourselves in that the war has been won, but there are battles yet to be fought. Right? Um, and guess who gets to fight the battles? You do. And I do. We do. As, as, as we're part of this reality on earth where there is God and his goodness and his spirit at work and where there is still evil present and powerful potentially in the lives of God's people and certainly powerful in the world at large. Now, last week we talked about a defensive strategy. Ephesians chapter 6, put on the full armor of God. Don't put up your hand, but have you been doing that? Right? The last thing we want to be... Uh, be as people, as hearers of the word, but not people who do the word. Jesus spoke directly to this dynamic. Don't do what he said. Be people who hear it and who do it. So I'm trusting that you're learning how you're practicing the putting on of the armor of God. Put on the belt of truth. Remember, that's the truth about our identity primarily, who we are in Jesus. Put on the breastplate of righteousness so we get rid of an unrighteousness of heart, which produces an external righteousness. But that unrighteousness of heart is primarily... Um, elevating things above God. It's idolatry. Being attached to these things that are more important to us than God himself. And, and on it goes. Hold that shield of faith before you. That's taking the truth and so believing it that when the attack comes, those fiery arrows, they're extinguished and have no impact on us. They don't get through to our heart. And so on I could go, please put this into practice in your life. The defensive strategy. But today we're going to talk about the offensive nature of spiritual warfare. How, if you would, to attack the enemy and overcome it, to take back ground that evil has taken. You get that idea? Armies don't just defend. Sometimes that's what they do, and that's what they have to do when the enemy is attacking, but there are times that an army will attack. And that's what we're called to, and we're going to read about it today. Now, I want to be really practical in this teaching time. I'm going to speak to two specific uh, items about what this means. Uh, we're going to go to first, uh, sorry, Second Chronicles 20, first of all. And we're going to take one of the, another one of these Old Testament passages where the people of God, Israel, is being attacked by an enemy. Draw the parallel between them and us. They have a physical army coming against them, soldiers with weaponry wanting to kill. We have a spiritual enemy coming against us. But this passage is filled with content about how we need to engage in spiritual warfare. So let's look at it. And learn what we can. So, Second Chronicles 20, verses 1 to 4 to begin. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the, I don't even know how to say this, Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the king of Israel. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar. Now, 
first of all, recognize it's a vast army. This is a powerful thing. And if nothing else, capture in your mind that the devil and his dark angels have power. They can destroy. It's their intention. It's what they desire to do. We are in the same place. Um, alarmed, and that's what can happen to us when we recognize this reality, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Now, just a little point. Not a little point, big point. When the king recognized the danger he was in, he turned to God. Because he knew God had the power to do, that he, uh, to do what he needed done more than the power that he had in himself. And he, he, he called all the people to fast before the Lord. And, and, and impl implicit in that is to pray. We turn to God that God might be at work in us. Verse 4, please. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Critical point, my friends. If you want to overcome the power of evil in your life, if you want to attack and be effective, it is God's power that gets activated, not yours. You aren't able. I'm not able. But when God wakes up, if you would, to this reality, when God by his spirit begins to move, the enemy is no hope and is defeated in our lives. Let's carry on. Verses 5 and 6. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. <clears throat> Lord, the God of our ancestors, he begins to pray, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over uh, all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can stand withstand you. See what the king is beginning to do? He's recognizing the reality of who God is. He's elevating God in the minds of his people. He's speaking the truth about God so that the, not only is God honored and, and, and praised, but they're recognizing who God is. We need to do the same. God is able. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We need to know the truth in this. We need to stand on it. We need to activate that reality. Let's keep going. He said, uh, this actually is a little later. We've jumped down now to verse 15. God has filled the prophet with his Holy Spirit, and the prophet says, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. But God's speaking to them and now to us. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And I want us to grasp this. What we're talking about when we engage the enemy, whether it's defensive actually or offensive, but particularly offensive, it's not our power. All we do is position ourselves in such a fashion that God begins to engage the enemy because it is God and only God who can overcome the enemy in our lives. You know, I love that last line, for the battle is not yours, Israel, but God's. He's going to fight it. That's exactly what happens. Carrying on. Tomorrow... March down against them. There's the offensive instruction. Not only do we defend when necessary, but there are times in our lives when we march against our enemy. We go forward. We engage the enemy on purpose in order to see the enemy overcome. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. For you will not have to fight this battle Hear this, people. You don't have to fight it. God's going to fight it. 
Then it says, take up your position. Stand firm. Now, see how this phrase keeps reoccurring? Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So you're beginning to envision what, what God through the prophet is saying to these people. You've got to go. You've got to muster your arms. You've got you to attack the enemy. But it's not really about you. It's about me. It's about my presence. It's about my power. It's about what I will do in the spiritual realm against the spiritual enemy, which you have. Okay? Really important principles uh, that we are given, that we need to weave into our lives. Now, the next day, verses 21 and 23, the king has been told God has spoken. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Okay, now I want us to think about this. Because from one perspective, it's bizarre exactly what happens. There's an enemy coming against Israel. The king, having been instructed by God, gets the, the, the men, probably the men from, from temple worship and so forth, the men to march out in front of the army to engage in the battle. Now, who in their right mind would send out you know, the, the, the church choir before the soldiers? Think about it. These are trained soldiers. They are armed. They, they, they have... Um, weaponry, you know, they have the armor, if you would. Uh, you know, the battle is to be engaged, and the king sends out the choir first. What's going on? Well, here's what I want to tell you is going on. The lesson is simple. Worship is powerful against evil. Worship is powerful in the spiritual engagement that we have with the enemy. Listen, <clears throat> Why do you come here on a Sunday morning? I asked you this on occasion. I think it's a really good question to keep reflecting on. Some people might come to this place because they enjoy the people. You know, we love one another. Soon we'll have coffee again. We trust and we can all talk about our lives and have a good time together. Some, some of you might like the music and you come for the music. Some, oh, you know, Chris is going to give us a decent sermon, we hope, right? It's, an, it's a lovely thing. It's a good thing. Now, it's optional, kind of. I'll come when it suits. It's... It, it, you know, it works. I, I kind of work it into my skin. Listen, do you come sort of in that casual way to enjoy the time? Or do you come to this place because this is a means, this worship of God is a means of overcoming and defeating the work of evil in your life? That's, a, I hope, a penetrating question for you. Because when you engage in worship, and I don't mean when you just sing the songs. I mean when you worship God by singing the songs. When you elevate him in your mind, when you tell him who he is, as the king did, when you, when you hear the sermon and not only consider it a nice idea, but you hear the word of God and then you go and do it in faith and in obedience, when you engage in worship, it is po a powerful means of overcoming the, 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 uh, the work of the devil and his angels in your life. Now, think about this. <clears throat> When you come here, bring, bring reference to Ephesians chapter 6. 
Are you not putting on the belt of truth? As I endeavor to take this, the truth of the word of God and speak it into your life so that you are reminded primarily about your identity in Christ, that you are a precious and beloved child of God, if indeed you're in Christ, you've come to believe in him with all of your heart and given your life to him to follow after him. And do you not put, you know, uh, deal with, if you would, the breastplate of righteousness? You know, you're challenged if there's any unrighteousness in your soul whereby you are elevating other things above God. And we come into this place and we elevate God above everything. We worship him. And we recognize he is God, not, you know, not a person or maybe, you know, you know not my money or, or my possessions or whatever the idol might be. We say no to those things and we put God first. That's a function of worship, isn't it? And, you know, I could go on with this. You know, is it not here, I hope and I trust, where God moves by his spirit and your faith is strengthened so that you can go like this when the enemy attacks so that the attack doesn't get through to your heart? Talk about the helmet of salvation, that, that, that function where your mind is informed and your will is addressed, these things we spoke of last week, so that you leave this place with the desire to, to do God's will above all else. See, my friends, this is a place where you're, you're enabled to fight the fight, to engage in the battle. And I want to say to you, never consider worship as something that is to be done in a casual fashion. You've got to come here, seriously, ready to worship God. I'm not the worshiper. Jeff and the band, they're not the worshipers. You are the worshipers. All we do is lead you in worship. What you do with it makes it worship. Or what you don't do with it keeps it from being worship. But when you engage God and you worship him with all of your heart, spiritually powerful in your life. I want to say, too, that it's spiritually powerful um, in, in the reality of evil. You know, um, in this experience of worship, evil is, is, is confronted, if you would, by God in your experience. It's almost like, you know, uh, you know think of that phrase that God dwells in the praises of his people. Do you know that's true? We praise God together, the Spirit of God comes in greater and greater and greater measure into our midst. God dwells in the praises of his people. And I want to tell you where God is, evil cannot be. That's a powerful reality. So evil is confronted by God. Evil is overcome by God as he, God speaks his truth and as he, and he moves us toward righteousness and as he influences our will and all these various things. So very... We need to be confident in this. We need to understand this. And we need to engage worship as a serious thing, not a casual thing. Don't think of worship as op optional if you want to overcome evil in your life. Don't think of it as optional. Make it a priority. Make it something that, uh, that is critical for you. So, lesson number one. Send out the choir. Become the choir. And evil will be overcome just as it was in this instance. God gets busy in that instance, just like in that story of so long ago. And who was it that defeated the enemy? I hope you realize in that story, the army didn't even get into battle. They didn't have to lift the sword or the spear. They didn't have to enter into combat because God so confused the enemy that it defeated itself. Isn't that amazing? See, it's God's battle, not yours. It's God's engagement, not mine. And through worship, the Lord is activated in a powerful and a significant way. Okay, point number two. First is worship. 
Number three, we're going to jump to the life of Jesus, and this is the critical stuff for today. The first is really important. This, is, this becomes a critical reality. When Jesus deals with evil in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if you haven't noticed it before, read them through, and you'll see he deals with evil a lot. He casts evil out of people's lives and so forth, and he in- encourages his people to do the same. But whenever he does it, he consistently exercises his authority as the Son of God over evil as he speaks against it. In other words, he comes against evil with intentionality. He, he, he uses his authority and he defeats it. Now, I'm going to go to Mark chapter 5 as an example of this. This is where Jesus deals with the demonized man at Gennesaret. Let me read it to you. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. When he, this is the demonized man, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Are you seeing the picture? This, 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 th- these demons knew who Jesus was. They're fully participating in the spiritual realm. And they throw themselves at Jesus' feet and they recognize him as the Son of God. That says a ton. Carrying on. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. He knew he was at the, um, at the wish of Jesus. That Jesus had the power to do what Jesus wanted to. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now I want to stop there and I want you to look at that statement. This is a command. Actually, some of the other translations says, And Jesus commanded him, Come out of this man. He's telling the evil spirit what to do. Because he's authoritative. He has the power of God to exercise in this way. Remember from the Old Testament, whose battle is it? It's God's battle. God, in this instance, acted against this impure spirit. Next verse. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. You see, this, these demons recognized that Jesus had the power to do that. And twice in this passage, as you'll see, it says they begged Jesus to do what they wanted. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demon begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. Isn't that a beautiful word? He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. You see, Jesus is a a permission-giving one because he is the one in authority. He gets to decide what happens. He is all-powerful, right? What we need to do, my friends, as we look at this story is recognize not only is he powerful, but I want you to know this, and I want you to hear this. Jesus has given us the right to exercise that power and authority in his name. Let me put this more pointedly. Jesus has given you the right to exercise his authority by praying and speaking in his name. Do you know that? I guess the other question is, do you do, you do that? Do you exercise that authority? That's something that you've engaged in. I want to read to you um, just something to drive this home a little bit. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 say this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them, listen, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. My friends, 
Some denominations would say that's only for the apostles. We don't believe that. That is for God's people. He has given you power and authority to drive out demons. That's a remarkable thing. Now, so, again, can we be sure it's not just the apostles? Let's, you know, in, in Luke chapter 10, the, the following chapter, he sends not out 12, he sends out 72 people into the world. And this is the report that they bring back to him, Luke 10, 17, after that time. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Are you beginning to understand the reality here? It's, it's, it's a, an incredibly important thing for us to grasp. My friends, you have that authority to exercise. It's not your authority, it's Christ's authority. And you can, you can exercise it regarding your own life, and you can exercise it regarding the lives of other people. Right? Powerful thing. Um, the way that this happens is twofold. One is that we pray in Jesus' name, and the other way, other way is that we speak it in Jesus' name. Prayer, briefly. Think of the Lord's Prayer. The disciples say, teach us to pray, Jesus. We need to know how to pray like you pray. And Jesus doesn't pick, it's not a long prayer. It's quite short. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, etc. He puts the critical parts in his instruction. And part of that is, and deliver, uh, delivers, uh, oh boy. Somebody tell it to me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And a lot of scholars today recognize that what is literally being said is there is deliver us from the evil one. Jesus wants you to pray that. He wants you to pray that for yourself. He wants you to pray it for your spouse if you're married and for your children. He wants you to pray it for your church. He wants you to pray it for your minister. He wants you to pray that for your elders. You see, we, we pray it in Jesus' name by his authority so that we are set free. It's so critical that this become part of our regular prayer life in all of these diff in different ways. You know, we can pray that God would build a hedge of protection around us. Now, this phrase you might have heard uh, used, but it's a phrase that comes from Job chapter 1, that oldest of books in the Old Testament, where Job is a man who is greatly blessed by God because God has built, it says, a hedge of protection around him. Of course, the devil comes and said, well, he's only faithful to you because of the, your protection. You remove the hedge, and I, if I attack his life, he, he won't be faithful to you. And the incredible thing about Job is that in spite of the loss, in spite of his suffering, he remained faithful to God, believing in God's goodness in spite of his suffering. But listen, we can pray a hedge of protection around ourselves, around our families, etc. And it's a powerful thing to pray that prayer. The other thing that we can do um, regarding prayers to pray that God would send angels to protect us. Ever do that? You can reference Revelation 12 if you wish to talk about how God sent angels to fight against the evil and so forth. It's in the Old Testament as well. Um, but there's a spiritual battle going on, invisible, unseen, power of evil at work. And if we ask, I would suggest in special circumstances, that God sends his angels and they take on the fight. See, it's God's fight, not ours, ultimately. So we need to pray in the name of of Jesus and exercises authority that way. But we also need to speak against uh, evil in our lives. And I want to take a minute with this because it's so important that we do this. It's part of what spiritual warfare is. I told you a, uh, a couple of weeks ago that um, I had a 
difficult emotional day uh, a month or so ago. More than that now, I suppose. I was really down um, and struggling. And I realized as the day went along, you know, this could be the enemy at work in my life. And if you were here, you'll remember the story. If you want to know more detail, go and look at the sermon two weeks ago online. And I just, I, I spoke against evil, as I told you. And within a matter of minutes, that darkness just lifted and was gone. And I know that it, w- it was caused by evil. But I want you to know what I said, because you don't have to memorize this, and you don't have to say it exactly the way that I'm going to describe it to you, but you've got to get the essence of, of the statement uh, in order to be able to say the same sort of thing. Um, by the way, we have to say this out loud, audibly, because the, the demonic can't hear our thoughts. We have to speak it to them. They're not God, right? And I said something like this, I would expect. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the one who came and defeated evil in his death on the cross, the one who uh, triumphed over evil in his resurrection, the one who now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, in his name and by his authority, I command any evil spirit afflicting my life to depart from me and to go to the throne room of God and to remain there until God chooses to do with you what he wishes. And I'm telling you, when that sort of statement is made by a believer in the name and in the authority of Jesus, the demonic has no option but to do what they have been commanded to do. It's almost as if Jesus is saying it, as in this text. But we are saying it because he's given us the right to say it, the authority to say it, and, and the, the, the right to exercise his power. Um, so there are critical elements there. In Jesus' name, identify Jesus. Who, what has he done? Who is he? And, and then by his authority, uh, speak directly. I command you. It's not a request. <laughs> You're exercising the authority of Jesus. He commanded in, in Mark 5, we do the same. Command the evil spirit or spirits in the name of Jesus for them to go. And to send them to the throne room of God and remain there until God chooses to do what. You don't want them coming back. And that's definitely a possibility. And of course, after this, pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would be empowered by God. My friends, I've done that a lot for myself. It's, it's, as I've said to you through the series, it's become normal for me. And this isn't a climactic moment anymore. It's just what we need to do when we sense that evil's at work in our lives. Um, The other thing that I do is I not only pray for people to this end, but I also speak to the demonic in the lives of other people who may be at work there. About, about roughly the same time, maybe two months ago, I was engaged in, in uh, what I would call significant prayer for an individual. Now, it was one of those times in prayer, like it was, God was there. God was present, God was at, wor- God was at work. And uh, the person stopped me and said, you know, they felt like they were going to throw up, quite frankly. <laughs> they felt nauseated. And I immediately uh, suspected that evil was involved because that's somewhat typical. And what I did was then uh, audibly pray against evil in that person's life in the way that I've described to you. And within one to two minutes, the person was totally fine. The nausea just disappeared and much helped. And I want to say to you, my friends, learn how to do this. Step into this. Be the army. Worship first, <laughs> exercising God's authority so that who wins the battle, who engages the battle? 
God engages the battle. Right? Remember, the army didn't have to lift a finger to defeat the enemy because God did. And by us exercising the authority of Jesus verbally and in prayer, the Lord is, if you would, activated. He comes, he moves in his strength and in his power, and we are set free. Now, listen to me. One last point. Uh, it is really important for when we know we need to engage in this for us to be what I call in right relationship with God. If there is ongoing unrepented sin in our lives, uh, we needn't be surprised if these efforts are ineffective. We've got to get ourselves to a place of humble submission before God uh, in order to know his power at work within us. Um, So, if there is sin in our lives, we have to repent of it. Which means more than just confessing it and asking for forgiveness, it means turning away from it, both in thought and in in life. Walk away from it. And we have to renounce Satan in all our ways. You see, um, there are times because of our sin, which we engage in, or sometimes... We had more time to talk about this when sin is perpetrated against us, that Satan gains access to our lives. And what we need to do is address those dynamics, and we need to not only repent of our sin, we need to renounce the work of Satan in us for, for, from various causes. And as we do this, uh, we will be set free. Healing Care Ministry, we're not sure if we're going to run it uh, this, this year or not. Um, we were, we're thinking about it, and, but it is a, a really powerful um, ministry. It's a process of helping people really break free from the woundedness and brokenness in their lives. It's a deeply spiritual process. I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, and I think the people who have engaged in it would, would recognize that. But as part of that process, uh, they one night uh, take time when they're dealing with sin to uh, go through what's called the six R's. And they are to recognize sin, to repent of it, to renounce Satan in all his ways, to receive God by his spirit, to realign with his will, and to rejoice in him. And uh, this can set us free, right? This takes us to a place where we are then in a position to exercise the authority of Jesus and have confidence knowing that God will then get the work. It is his battle to fight. We engage in it in this way like the Israelites. They went out to war, but it was the Lord who won the victory, and he will in our lives too. I'm going to finish by saying this to you. You know, the reality is that our church can be a mighty army for God in overcoming the work of evil in this world, in our own lives and out there. Jesus, again, I'll tell you, says, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You know, and some people think that it's like the gates are encroaching upon us. That's not, that's not the image of Jesus spoke. We're the army, and, and we move forward, and the gates of hell won't prevail. They will crumble as the church of Christ has moved forward in spiritual power to accomplish the will of God. Do you know that's what we can be? We can be spiritually a powerful force in this world for God as we take these things to heart. And remember, I, I want this to become somewhat normal for us. I remember a time when it was odd to think in these terms. I remember a time when it was 
a little bit scary to think in these terms. But essentially now it's simply become part of what it means to follow Jesus for me, and I hope it will become that for you. See, to follow Jesus is to believe what he believed, and to desire what he desired, and to do what he did. And as I began, Jesus did this kind of work a lot in the Gospels. And if we really want to authentically follow after him, we've got to embrace all of that to do the work that Jesus did. You see, the battle is now ours to fight. We are the people of God, not the Israelites of old. It's us. And Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, has enabled his people to fight the battle and find victory, not through our own strength, but through the strength and through the authority of Jesus. This, my friend, is our calling as church, and it's your opportunity as his people. Let's pray. Lord, you want us to be that uh, mighty force in your hand. You don't want us to go toe-to-toe with evil on our own. You just want us to do what is required so that you move in power. And as the army of Israel did so long ago, see the enemy just collapse before you and your strength. God, I pray that every single person here and those who are listening will recognize they have an enemy. I pray that they will proactively engage that enemy both defensively and offensively. And I pray that they will see your power freeing them, that they might live the life that you want them to know, breaking free from sin, breaking free from struggles and heartache and difficulty, all that the enemy um, wants to work into their experience. Help us to remember, God, that greater is he who is in us, you, than he who is in the world, the devil. Help us to become that powerful force, God, so that we might be the church that, uh, that you use to overcome evil in this world. And Lord, these things we pray in Jesus' name.